The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. And welcome to Authentic Living. Rabbi Sherry Hirsch was the first female rabbi of the Sinai Temple in Los Angeles, the largest conservative synagogue in the western United States. That in and of itself is a remarkable accomplishment, but Rabbi Hirsch is unusual in other ways as well. She started out as an accomplished college tennis player who was headed for medical school, but her keen desire to deepen her understanding of her faith took her to the Jewish Theological Seminary. After that, she took another detour through Asia where she studied Eastern philosophy. After her ordination in 1998, she spent eight years at Sinai Temple, and since leaving there, she's been very busy sharing her unique blend of spiritual in the everyday with the world, appearing on such high-profile shows as the Today Show, ABC News, Inside Edition, and Faith Matters Now, as well as others. She also serves as a spiritual life consultant and teacher for the Canyon Ranch Spas in Arizona and Massachusetts. Her book, We Plan, God Laughs, Ten Steps to Finding Your Divine Path When Life is Not Turning Out as You Wanted, is the topic of our discussion today. And I think that's an interesting topic because... We're so used to talking in these days of getting what we want that we need to look at the possibility that sometimes we don't get what we want. Welcome, Rabbi Hirsch, to the show, and thank you so much for taking your time and energy to speak to our listeners today. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Okay, well, tell tell the audience, how did you come to write this wonderful book? Well, it wasn't just being a rabbi that made me realize that life wasn't going as planned, because... Of course, as a rabbi, people came to me, and they seemed to have this perennial question of, why is my life not turning out like I expected? But I felt whenever they asked me that, it was echoed in my own head, which was, my life is not turning out like I planned. And how did I get here? And it wasn't necessarily that it was turning out worse. It just was turning out differently. What I imagined as a little girl was not how it was actually materializing as an adult. You know, there was no white picket fence, 2.5 children, which I still don't understand. (laughs) Um, And it was just different. And so that's what made me or inspired me to communicate with others that you're not alone, that a rabbi hears everybody's pain, but they don't share it with each other. It really motivated me to write it down. So uh, say that last part again. I want to understand that. A rabbi's pain... A rabbi's pain is... You know, people come to talk to a rabbi, but they don't talk to each other. And so I started hearing over and over again the same recurrent theme, which is, does God have it out for me? You know, why is my life not working on all gears? What can I do? What did I do wrong? Do I deserve this? And it made me think that more than ever I needed to share it with other people and let them start to see that they're not alone, which I think is a real problem in our 
society is we just feel so alone in our pain, and we think no one could possibly know what we're going through. Right. And that's what, and I I was going to say, Andrea, the best part of the book, beyond writing it and having people read it, has been hearing from the readers about how much it comforted them or soothed them or just gave them strength through a difficult time, which was something you don't expect when you're writing your first book. You know you're going to write it, and you know you hope people are going to read it, but you don't imagine that they're going to talk back to you, which has been a real blessing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this whole idea of people not talking to people, I think that's a, a, one of the reasons why I'm doing this show, too, that we, we're, we don't share with each other our burdens because, A, we don't want to burden other people, and, B, we're sometimes ashamed of our burdens. Do well, you find that to be true? Well, here it, I find it to be very true, but I think one of the problems is sometimes our burdens feel trite in light of other people's burdens. Okay. Like, we have a dear friend, and she's just lost her mother, so for us to be upset that our child didn't get into the school we were hoping sounds almost trivial, except that everybody's pain is valid, and we all experience pain in different ways. And so what happens is also we live in a world of technology. I mean, the more we become isolated through technology where we're able to, like, anonymously talk on the Internet or not talk at all, we learn not to communicate with the people that are closest to us, the things that are most important to us. Mm -hmm. And so also we don't want to sound stupid to our friends. You know, I, I always imagined my life would be like this, and even though it's turned out relatively okay, it's just not what I expected. Yeah. And also, no one wants to feel like a failure, Andrea. Like, we all want, I see it so often in my circle of friends and in my group as a rabbi. It's like, nobody wants to say my marriage is a lot of hard work and it's not going great right now. You know, no one wants to sort of confess the truth, but everybody feels that. Marriage is a lot of work, you know, Mm -hmm. and divorce is a lot of work, and that's hard to share. Yep. And those are just an example. Absolutely. Okay, so if you're going to tell us 10 steps to finding your divine path when life's not turning out like you wanted, what would be the first of those steps? The first would be what happened. You know, you have to look at your past in order to know how to go forward. And sometimes something very dramatic happened that made your life not go as you planned. God forbid you lost a child or you lost a parent or you had a sudden tragedy. I mean, no one when they're eight years old dreaming about what their life is going to be like when they're older, imagines that they will lose a parent or get divorced. It's just not in the dreams. And so something tragic and very difficult happens is one case scenario, and you have to look at that because you have to be willing to say, where have I come from? Another case is that nothing necessarily dramatic happened, but your dreams sort of fell apart. You know, I often hear, especially women will say, After I put my husband through medical school and took care of my children, my dreams of becoming a teacher never actually materialized. And there's a death to that. There's a death of dreams and a grieving process that I actually never achieved what I thought I was going to do for myself. And then the third category of looking at what happened is people that their lives sort of unfolded and folded in ways that they planned or not planned, but they don't feel fulfilled, which is in some ways the most tricky because there's no identifiable culprit. There's no way to say, this is where my life went awry. It's like, it just doesn't feel how I thought I would feel. 
I thought at 50 I would feel a certain sense of contentment and accomplishment and fulfillment. Instead, I feel loneliness and emptiness. And part of step one is looking and saying, can I look back at my life honestly so that I can move forward differently? But you got to know where you came from in order to know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when when people are asking those questions, that that one that you mentioned earlier, do I deserve this? Does that one come up? Yeah, I think a lot of people at, underneath the question of why is my life not going as planned is this much more significant question, which is literally, you know. Where is God? Why is God not taking care of me? Where's God in this whole picture? And that's where people get very lost because it feels like, well, maybe God doesn't care about me, or maybe I'm being punished, or maybe I'm being tested, or maybe I just don't matter. And those kinds of theologies, beliefs in God, really get people mucked up because they start thinking, Maybe God is laughing at me. Maybe God, this is some sort of existential joke, and God wants to see how strong I truly am or what kind of test I can really pass, which I don't believe in those kinds of theologies or beliefs about God. I think they lead us down a very, very self-destructive path. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely agree with that. Yeah, and so what? I guess what you're saying when you ask that question of what happened, you're also sort of disclosing your own story and sort of asking even more questions about that story. Yes, I think that's a beautiful way of saying it, Andrea. I think, you know, in Judaism, it is the stories of people that make up the tradition. And I think very much every one of us has an important story, but you've got to know your story and you have to own your story. And the truth is, a lot of our stories are very painful. We have difficult childhoods, there's abuse, there's all kinds of things that happen to us, and not all of us want to own up to it. But like I said, the more you own it, the more it doesn't own you. Right, absolutely, absolutely. And that gets us to the next one. I think the next one in the steps is ending the excuses. Yes. (laughs) I cannot tell you how many excuses I hear from people, which is the fear excuse. You know, the, I can't do that, I'm too afraid. Or, if only, like, Rabbi, I would take your advice, if only this. Or we tell ourselves, if only I was 10 pounds thinner, then I would go on the dating site. If only I was more confident, then I would ask for the promotion. We set up all these sort of random, you know, excuses. Or, I can't do this because my mother said I could never do this. And we use those excuses that are deeply embedded in our history, and we use them in our present, which is so dangerous. I can't tell you how many times I say to someone standing before me, you just got to go for it. You got to go for it. And they're like, they'll give me 10 excuses right there and then. And I'm thinking, I'm your rabbi. No excuses. Because the truth is, any time we want to move forward, there's always a reason to stay stuck. We can always think of a reason to start the diet tomorrow. We can always think of a reason not to ask for the promotion. We can always think of a reason not to confront our spouse. But to not look at those excuses, we have to end them. And that's a conscious task. You have to say, when you hear yourself say an excuse in your head, You have to say, I hear it, 
but I'm not going to use it. Mm-hmm. Because you can't necessarily eliminate them from your thinking. Yeah, and so many times we hypnotize ourselves by those very excuses. Well, and they become very comfortable. They become like a great pair of Levi's, and, and that they're comfortable. We know them. We go to them when really we should be wearing the new cute jeans that make us look really fabulous, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's part of the habitual nature of excuses is we repeat them over and over again, and then we think, this is our truth. And excuses are not a truth. They're just excuses. Right. And so it must be pretty courageous then to confront yourself with your own excuses. Well, you know, it's so funny because people come to talk to me all the time as a rabbi, and they'll say things like, I'm the most fearful person I know. And I'm thinking to myself, what? Because you're sitting in a rabbi's office confessing and sharing your deepest fears and your desire to move forward you're 99% of the way there. Like, that is courage. You know, I always say to my son, we have three children, and we are about to, God willing, embark on a fourth. We have a fourth in the works. All right. But I always say to my son, when my son says to me, I'm scared, I'm scared, Mom, I say to him, you know what? The definition of courage is feeling fear and doing it anyway. That's what makes you courageous. And one of my most rewarding moments as a parent is when he came home one day and he had done something that he was very afraid to do with regards to a playmate. And he came home and he said, you know, I'm a very courageous person. Hmm. I mean, it was such a powerful statement. Absolutely. You know? One so young. And a a six-and-a-half-year-old. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a break now, and we'll be back in just a moment to talk some more with Rabbi Sherry Hirsch. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor in sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor in sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest. 
driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Authentic Living, brought to you by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And today we're talking to Rabbi Sherry Hirsch with regard to her book, We Plan, God Laughs, a title I love. And we've been... Do you know where it's from, Andrea? No. Where is that from? I've heard it all my life. Yeah, you know, we hear it. We don't know where it's from. It's actually a Yiddish proverb. Yiddish is the language that was the mixture of German and Hebrew, and it was spoken in Germany and all over the Eastern European countries. And it was a saying, and I looked extensively for the origins, but I could not find them. But literally, it was mantras, God locks, which is, we plan, God laughs. And the I didn't hear it, obviously. I wasn't born in Germany. I was raised in America and born in America. But my 98-year grandmother, who passed away just a year and a half ago, she used to say it to me when I was a small girl all the time when I would complain to her about things that weren't going my way. She would just respond with, we plan, God laughs. And I would think to myself, Grandma, that is not helpful. <laughs> and she, But it was her sort of mantra. And later in life, it's resonated for me very much that maybe I've gotten it all wrong. Maybe there's a new way to see what she was saying to me. And that also motivated me to write the title and to help people reinterpret it because I think a lot of people have heard it. Yeah, and it, and it does a little bit sound like the cosmic jokes on you. Yes, and I think part of the message of the book, actually the center of the book, is really that God is not laughing at you, but God is laughing with you. Right. Just like God is weeping with you, God is tearful for you, that God is a partner in this journey rather than an adversary. Yeah, and I really do think the soul of humor is, is recognition of our... Uh, infantile silliness (laughs) most of the time. Well, and also I think part of where we go awry again is that feeling God is not our partner in this process. You know, that somehow God is like pointing a finger from that big chair with the big long white beard and being like, gotcha! Mm -hmm. And that feeling of being singled out and of being not cared about can be devastating. And actually, I don't don't believe in a God on a big, big chair. I don't believe in a God with a long white beard. I don't even believe in a man. What you know, part of that is outlined in the book is how do you come to believe in a God that really speaks to you? Mm-hmm. You know, which is an important piece of coming to believe that God is laughing with you, yeah, right. and not at you. Absolutely. Well, we talked about the first two steps in the last uh, segment: what happened and ending the excuses. And the, uh, the what is the third? The step? third is called getting present, which I find for people is in some ways the hardest. 
because we can look at where we've come from, we can end the excuses, and then we have to be here now, which especially comes to letting go of past hurts, which comes really into this concept of forgiveness, which is so hard, and people get so confused about forgiveness. Does forgiveness mean forgetting? What if it's not deserving of forgiveness? What if the person didn't ask me? What if I'm not ready? And what I say to people is you can ask those questions over and over and over again and still be in the same place stuck. What you do is you forgive, not necessarily because the other person asked, not necessarily because they're deserving, but because you want to move forward in your life. And you make a decision to forgive people so you can move forward. And that doesn't mean that all people are deserving of your forgiveness. You don't have to go and tell them, you know, I forgive you for the violence that you exerted on me as a child. That's, that's one thing. But it's forgiving them for yourself so that you can move forward. Right. And that's a very hard one for people. We carry on such guilt and blame and forgiveness for years long after long, long after their time has expired. I I tell a story in the book where I stole a caramel from Safeway. It's a grocery store that used to exist 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was in the third grade, and I stole the caramel, and I was racked with guilt. And, of course, my parents found out, and we had to go back to the Safeway store, and not only did I have to return it, but I had to apologize and pay them back. Mm -hmm. And it was a devastating moment in my life. And 30 years later, I can remember it was like yesterday. And if that's how I feel about a caramel, I mean, can you imagine about something that really matters? Right. You know, that's the problem with these guilt and forgiveness and issues that we carry on blame that we carry for years and years. I mean, that's what I carried for a caramel. (laughs) You can only imagine if it involved another human being. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, and that, and so what you're saying is, when we're when we're forgiving someone, we're not necessarily atoning them. We're just letting go. We're letting go. Right. We're letting go for ourselves, mm-hmm. because the truth is, there are people that are very hard to forgive, and sometimes we ask for forgiveness three times, and then we are free from asking again. Or sometimes someone asks us three times, but there are people that have done things to us that sometimes you know, maybe are not so easy to forgive, especially when it comes to real issues of violence and whatnot, um, both physical and verbal and emotional. I always want to make that clear. So maybe it's not so easy to forgive, but maybe you can let go and say, I don't want that person to run or dictate my life today. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So that gets you to the present, where you can live your life in the present and not in the past. Right, and you can say, here is where I am now. Now I can move forward, because I'm not stuck in the past. I'm not holding on to past hurts. I'm here now, ready to recreate or to build something new, or to come to terms with what could possibly be. Right, and that gives you responsibility for, you know, the choices that you're making that maybe have been in the past a function of the past or of some previous hurt. Right. So much of our choices are not dictated by our authentic self. They're dictated by, you know, I often hear when I have young co-eds come into my office in their mid-20s, I have to ask them many times, are you making the decision at your parents, because of your parents, regardless of your parents, 
What's the actual reason you're making the decision? And only very infrequently, because they're co-eds and they're in their 20s, do they say to me, no, this is a decision that comes authentically from me. Most of the time it's in reaction or in spite of someone else. And I think what our challenge in being present is that we're not behaving in that way. That I'm not doing this because I want to get back at someone or I want to show them or what they did to me. We're doing it because it really reflects who we are today. Right, right. And that's hard to get to sometimes, so it requires some clarity. In the last stage we talked about requires some courage. This one is, seems to require some clarity. Yes, I think that's a beautiful word for it. And I didn't say the steps were easy. I mean, I, I often joke that if my editor said, you know, 10 steps is a lot. Maybe it should be more like four steps. I said, this isn't a plan for getting in shape. <laughs> right. like, this is about a personal plan for well-being and for living well and for living a spiritual life. So it takes more than four steps, and I can't promise you that they're easy, but I can promise you that if you are focused on the task at hand, they will change you. Mm-hmm. That I know. I've seen it over and over again. Yeah, me too. And I think that that, that whole idea that it's got to be that easy thing, it's, I have people in my office, I'm a therapist, and so I have people in my office all the time saying, you know, well, that's hard. And my response to that is, yes, this is becoming authentic is the hardest thing that anyone can ever do. And well, yet it is, it is life itself. Well, and it's interesting to me because I think, Andrea, everything of value in life has been really hard. For, take, for instance, birth. You don't just suddenly get a baby. It's like you spend nine, first you try to get pregnant, then you spend nine months being pregnant, which is not exactly the most pleasurable thing. <laughs> Then you have to push the baby out, and then you've got to live with this child for the next 18 years. But it is one of the most powerful, meaningful experiences that we can have in life, and that's why people keep doing it, not because it's easy, but because it's fulfilling and meaningful. And I think that's where people get mucked up. Mm-hmm. It's most things of real value are hard work. Yep. You know, getting a Ph.D., you're a therapist, you know, studying to become a teacher among teachers, was not something you did overnight. It took a lot of work, a lot of tests, all that. And so I think that's where people do get a little bit like, isn't there an easier way? (laughs) If there was an easier way, I know I'd pick it up, but it wouldn't give me the same meaning. Yep, yep, I agree, I agree. So, okay, the fourth step then was celebrating the divine you. Celebrating the divine you is truly one of my favorite steps. Part of after you get present, is realizing how much you matter in this world. And so, you know, one of the things I say in the book is that when you're a kid, you celebrate you left and right. It's your birthday, you celebrate. You woke up taller, you celebrate. Everything is you celebrate. But there's a time when we get older and we just stop celebrating. We we acknowledge all funerals and deaths and difficult times, but we forget to celebrate our birthday. We forget to celebrate things that are really joyful. We do it for other people, especially as women. You know, we're happy to make parties and joyful celebrations for all the people around us. And one of the things that is so important to these steps is recognizing how much you matter in the world and how much God celebrates you. You know, if God is our parent and we are his children and each one of us is divine, then God thinks we're his greatest creation yet. And so that's worthy of a celebration. So one of the things I say, you have to 
figure out 13 divine attributes about yourself, 13 things that make you wonderful. So we'll go back to that in the next segment. Absolutely. I want to hear all about that. Good. Okay. This is Andrea Matthews. We're talking today to Rabbi Sherry Hirsch, and we'll be back in just a moment. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desk, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit A-I-H-T dot E-D-U. All my love. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. web at skillsusa.org. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with Rabbi Sherry Hirsch. We've been talking about the 10 steps to divine your path when life is not turning out like you wanted and uh, in the last segment, we talked about celebrating the divine you. And you said in the last, just before the break, that there was a there were thirteen um, thirteen ways divine of aspects of yourself. Okay. And 
this one is hard for people because they think, if I asked you to name 13 things you don't like about yourself, people would just be sitting there making lists, you know, because it's so easy to self-criticize. But if I say, you need to write down 13, people would say to me, I've got three, I've got two. But it's interesting because in the Bible, God describes himself or itself with 13 divine attributes. And if we are made what they say, but Selim Elohim in the image of God, then we have at least 13, just like God. And our challenge is to sort of recognize them and acknowledge them and see how divine we really are. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So could you give just an example of one or two of those so that we can... Right, absolutely. You know, I don't know about you, Andrea, but I subscribe to People magazine, and I love it. Uh But the... And that's very uncommon for a rabbi, I should say. (laughs) (laughs) But in People magazine, it looks like what makes us divine or important is that we're powerful, we're rich, we're famous, or we're thin, which is truly a big lie. That's not what makes us divine. What makes us divine is that we're loyal, that we're kind. You know, not all of us are going to become famous, rich, powerful, or thin. Frankly, most of us will not. And so the question becomes, what is really our divine spark? What were we put on this earth to do? And why did God make us? And, you know, the Muslims call it an ilm. It's not just a Rabbi Hirsch thought of this. The Kabbalists, which are a huge part of the Jewish tradition, they called it literally a divine spark. It's that there's an element within us, in our, physio- in our physical being, like in our DNA, that makes us unique and special and like no one else in the world, which is pretty incredible because when you start to see what your divine self is here to do, you see how important you are. And if you don't know what it is, ask your best friend. She's not best friends with you because you're happy all the time. She's, she's best friends with you because you light her up. Your spark makes her happy. You know, and I often say to my husband, you know, there are certain couples when you go out with them, they put your spark out, and if you never go out with them again, you think to yourself, no biggie. And then there's other couples, you have dinner with them, and you can't imagine where the time has gone, and they really light you up. And that's because people bring out our divine spark. And so it's important to ask the people around you, how do I sparkle in your life? What do you think is my sparkle? You know, just a little light coffee conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. And that's a really beautiful way to talk about that because I do think we can mirror each other and, and show each other what's real inside the other person. So that's really good. Right. And so often what we think is sparkly, it's much more simple and much more subtle. The fact that we're a person that always listens or the fact that we're a person that has compassion for others. You know, there's a story that I speak of, a woman named Shirley Claudney, who made a huge difference in my life. I was a latchkey kid, and every day after school, I used to come to her house, and she listened with these two other kids that came as well. And I remember her often saying, because my mother worked and the other two girls, her, their mothers worked, I'm just a housewife, as if it was like beneath what our mothers were. And later in life, these three girls have all become successful and accomplished, and we're sitting at a wedding. And who are we talking about? Shirley Kolodny. And what a profound difference she made in our lives. And I decided to pick up the phone and call her. And she was now living 3,000 miles away. And I reintroduced myself. She knew exactly who I was. And I said, I just wanted you to know 
what an important part of my life you were and how grateful I am that you were able to listen. And without judgment, my parents were getting divorced. Things were happening, obviously, in our lives. And she was silent on the other line. She was absolutely silent. And her husband got on the line and he said, you know, her whole life she thought she was just a housewife. And I, I responded by saying, but she was so much more. And the message is, is that so many of us feel little, you know, that we're like nothing. Like if we, did, we don't really matter because what we do isn't, you know, we're not J-Lo, as they say, right. <laughs> you know. We're not the next American Idol, but we are. We're an idol to our communities, not, a, not the idol in the sense of a statue, but we're someone that are the people around us and people we haven't even met are looking towards mm-hmm. and being affected by. Yep, absolutely. Sometimes just eye contact and smile can make a big difference. You can't imagine. Isn't that so crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's like our, our, we become so isolated. Just I walk around what I call the high theory, and I just walk around saying hi to people, and people look at me like, is she speaking to me? <laughs> you know, and then they feel good because they're being noticed by others. Mm-hmm. We all just want to have a sense that we're not invisible to the world. Right, absolutely. Or to ourselves, absolutely. Or to ourselves. I think that's a very good point. Yep. Yep. And then you've got partnering with God. How does one partner with God? Well, first, sometimes or many times we see God as an adversary or we're working with an outdated notion of what God is. And part of what I talk about in recreating your creator and partnering with God is really to figure out who is my God today. And there's 70 names for God in the Bible I use God loosely, that word, G-O-D. You can call that power greater than yourself anything you want. You can call it orange for all I care. You know, the point is that you recognize that there might be something greater than you and that it cares passionately and deeply for you. And then you can come, once you see, can I recreate a creator that really speaks to me, then you can see, maybe I can have a partner as opposed to an adversary and not feel so isolated. Okay, okay. So that's how that works. You really do find the God that is your God. Yeah, and it takes you through the steps. I mean, part of the challenge is people are like, what am I supposed to do? And in recreating your creator, it really walks you through, you know, literally, what does your God look like to you today? How does your God feel? You know, can you smell your God? Do you see your God? Where do you see, you know, God's works in the world, and do you even believe in God kind of thing? Mm-hmm. So that's helpful, hopefully, for people. Yep. And then the finding the divine spark. You celebrated the divine you. Now you're going to find that divine spark, where that is. And then you start to engage up. Okay. Once you see why you were put on this earth, you can bring it to others with meaning and with passion. And it may not be, you know... So many people, they find their divine spark, and they're like, maybe I need to quit my job, move to Japan, and live on a farm, because now I've discovered that I'm a caring person. (laughs) And it may not have to be so dramatic. It may be that you need to start volunteering once a week. Or it may be that, you know, once a week you need to give yourself time to really relish who you are and to visit your mind, whatever it is for you. Usually it has to do with being involved in helping others, but not always. But you have to engage up. You have to start working towards, 
you know, engaging up really comes from the opposite of settling down. Do you remember? I used to always hear when I was a kid in school, settle down, Sherry, settle down, because as you can see, I'm loquacious and chatty, and I hated that. Both those words just together and separately are terrible. Settle and down. Who wants to settle and who wants to go down? Exactly. And it really came to me that it was the opposite. It was what I wanted to engage up. And all that chattiness when I was a kid was criticized, but really that's my, one of my gifts is that I'm able to communicate and that I really feel good about as an adult, which I was criticized for as a kid, especially for passing notes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of teenage girls were. Right, absolutely. And I, I find that so much is true. It is so true very often that what we've, what we've heard criticized as kid, ab- kids absolutely becomes one of our primary gifts. Absolutely. Yeah, so engaging yourself is one of those, uh, it's, it takes more courage too, but it also takes that clarity to see when, you know, I think I want to say this, in our society in America, we're so fame-oriented. Uh, you know, we've got our idol, the American Idol, and, the, you know, all the stars and all the famous people. And in Europe, you know, fame just doesn't mean much to them. and They're not real hot to follow people that are famous and all that. So we have a culture that sort of promotes that, and, and it's hard for us to distinguish what is real for us when we get to this stage of engaging and what is just societal pressure. And I always say, you know, the greatest thing is to be famous in your family. You know, to be known in your family as the person that always helps after dinner or the person that is really the go-to person. You know, that's like what I tell my kids. The goal is not to be famous that you're on the TV or on the movie screen, but to be famous in your family, that you're, you're someone that people can rely upon for X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And, yes, I think there is an obsession with those things, power, fame, money, um, even weight. And I think more than anything, we have to sort of teach our children and ourselves that those are not the divine aspects of us. You know, those are what Hollywood sort of puts on a pedestal, but those are not what make us divine. That's not what God said when we were created. You know, and you shall be (laughs) a singer-dancer. No. God said, um, you shall be a person that brings a gift of music to the world. And how you do that is up to you. Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. And all this hopefully leads you to find meaning. And I often tell people, you know, people say, I've walked through these steps and I don't feel happy. And truly happiness is very much a fleeting feeling. It really is. You've got to find meaning, not happiness. Okay. And we're going to talk more about finding meaning after the break. This is Andrea Matthews, and we're talking to Rabbi Sherry Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. It's a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earned my Ph.D. in metaphysics. 
You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, <laughs> she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. <laughs> Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their states. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at skillsusa.org. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Welcome back to our final segment of Authentic Living today. We're talking with Rabbi Sherry Hirsch. And just before the break, you were talking about finding meaning. And I want to say some more. I want to ask you to say some more about that. Yeah, well, what I was going to say was that most people think happiness is the goal, and it's not the goal, because what makes you happy one week doesn't necessarily make you happy the next. I mean, I remember when I was a dating gal, it was 
a guy that sent me flowers after a date who I really liked, I thought it made me happy. But a guy that sent me the exact same flowers after a date that I didn't like, they made me creeped out. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is, you know, happiness is very fleeting. And what determines our happiness can change with the weather. But when we find meaning and we find purpose, then that's actually everlasting. And things that have given us meaning stay with us long, long, long times. And so that's really the goal is not to say I'm happy or I'm not happy, but I have a life filled with meaning and purpose, and I'm meant to be here, and I matter not only to God, but to people I know and people I don't know. And so I think that's a different way of approaching sort of our quick-fix lifestyle right now, which is, am I happy? Am I not happy? Am I happy? You know, it's like taking your temperature. It changes in a second, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good analogy. Okay, so then that brings us to questioning. What are the questions that we ask at this stage? Well, you may go through all the steps and discover you still have a lot of questions and that your life is still not. And that's where you have to go back and make some changes and some tweaks and realize that this is constantly in process. It's not like you work these 10 steps and you're done. Mm-hmm. That life is constantly changing around you, in you, because of you, and so it's a constant sort of work in progress. And like it says in the Declaration of Independence, you know, it's the pursuit of happiness, and I like to change it. It's the pursuit of meaning, which is a pursuit is the key word. Mm-hmm. It is a ongoing process. Right. And so you, sometimes you have to go back, and questioning, I think, is the building blocks of true belief. It's not, a, it's not something that can hurt belief. Right, right, absolutely, because every doubt leads to an, an answer. Yeah. You know, I, I want to pause here and uh, make sure that our audience, listening audience knows how they can contact you. So can you tell us? Sure. I have a website, www.sherryhirsch.com, S-H-E-R-R-E-H-I-R-S-C-H.com. And what I really like about it is people can go on the website and read and comment, and they can register and get words of inspiration. And sometimes I hear from people, you know, on a day that I thought, you know, it was just going badly, I would get a word of inspiration, and it would really lift my spirits. And that's been very gratifying for me. And I love to hear from people. So it's really nice when people go to the website. And then, in the I, God willing, I'll be releasing a new book next in 2010, um, based on love, but I can't release the title. And hopefully in the fall I'll be on a regular national daily syndicated show, which will be a, I'll know more about that. And where I speak and where I'm actually on TV is always located on the website, so it's easy to find me. Okay, well that's excellent, excellent. So there's lots of ways that you're sort of spreading this new word around. I hope, but that's okay. the plan. All right. Know. Okay. But well, my biggest project come October is the new baby. The new baby is coming in October. Yeah, when they, uh, we got off our schedule because we have a six-and-a-half, four-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, and now this one will be a year behind, and everybody says, what happened that year? And I say, I published a book. That was my other baby. There you go. So. <laughs> there you go, and you're going to have a baby in October and another one in 2010. Right. right. <laughs> then I'll have another, but then we're done with the actual baby babies, I okay. think. Okay, okay. All right. Well, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the one that I've been the most curious about, laughing with God. Yes. This is the one where you go through this process and you really discover that God is really a partner with you. You know, there's a tradition in the Jewish oral tradition that says that when the temple was destroyed, 
they asked, where was God in all this destruction and sadness while all these people were weeping so profoundly? And the rabbis say very beautifully, God was weeping with them. And that's where suddenly you realize that God is very much your friend, your best friend, your partner, your soulmate, and laughs with you, is never laughing at you. And I think that's very empowering when we realize that we have a partner in this process. That eliminates the isolation. But that's a process, you know, and you don't necessarily feel it overnight. Yeah, eliminates the isolation. That's a very... that's. So so that brings us back to sort of a, a communion. Yes, and I would say, you know, there's a very famous story that says that when we die, we're going to meet God at the pearly gates. And when we get there, God's not going to ask us, you know, did all your dreams come true? Did you make a lot of money? Were you famous? You know, why weren't you like Mother Teresa or Moses or even someone like your mom? You know, God's going to want to know if you were you you know, divine, authentic, regular, extraordinary, normal you. Mm-hmm. And then the, the idea is that hopefully you'll be able to say yes and that you'll stand there and have a good laugh with God. I mean, that is the point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I do think that that's hard for us to recognize because we've got such um, an ethic about what's good and bad and what we ought to do and what we should do that we don't recognize who we are in the midst of that, and I, I think that's one of those points where we get sort of blurry. Right. It's easy to get blurry because we have all these labels that we're carrying around with us, good, bad, this, that, you know, and you drop those labels and you think, what am I without those labels? Mm-hmm. But actually you're divine and you are inspired and you're made in God's image, which is far more important than any label that anyone has ever given us. Absolutely, absolutely. So then when we are fulfilling our lives, when we are let me say that differently. When we are fulfilling the authenticity that we are, yes. we are doing all that we can do here on planet Earth. Are you, are you asking? Yeah, I'm sorry. That was a question. Oh, yes, and it's not about being, you know, using every minute in like a crazy way. It's doing what we were authentically meant to do here and filling this world and leaving this world a little bit better. And then ultimately affecting people we may not have even met. I mean, I still hear the words of my great-grandfather in what my mother says to me. And those words made a lasting impression on my mother and are part of my own ethic, and I'm grateful for that. Beautiful. Okay, thank you so much, Rabbi Sherry Hirsch, for being on on our show today and talking about your book, We Plan, God Laughs. Thank you for having me, Andrea. Love talking to you. Me too. And next week, we're going to be talking to Linda West, psychic and author, on the subject of spiritual guidance. And just remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.